It is, once again, the second Sunday night of the month. I know this is your favorite Sunday night, right? Questions and answers. Uh, if you're a visitor with us here tonight, a guest, we, on the second Sunday night of every month, have a question and answer session. However, all the questions are pre-submitted, so I can make sure to have time to study and give you the right answer, and not just what comes over, whatever comes to my head at the moment. And so, some Sundays we deal with several questions at a time, and other Sunday nights we can only take care of one question. And tonight we're only going to be taking care of one, because this is a rather complex question, and probably is going to take an entire lesson to be able to deal with it. Our question tonight is, what does the Bible mean by blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and why is this sin unpardonable? If you would like to have a question submitted at any time, please feel free. There are little forms out there on the phone stand beside my office. You can fill that out and then drop it in the, the box that's also beside my office door. You can uh, submit a question at any time, and we will get to that as soon as possible. If I can't get to it in a lesson, I will certainly at least write a response to you. So, tonight's question. What does the Bible mean by blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and why is this sin unpardonable? Have you ever committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever been worried that you might have committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I've run into numerous people that have been concerned that they might have accidentally along the way committed this unforgivable sin. And they're worried about if they can be forgiven for the things that they have done. And so, there seems to be a lot of question regarding this issue. I hope tonight I can help you draw closer to understanding what the Bible means when it says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I recognize that tonight's lesson is not going to be a definitive treatise on this topic, and I hope that you will recognize that as well. This is my belief based on my study, and some may disagree. If so, feel free to let's talk about it afterwards. But I think I'm right. I think I'm on the right track, and I hope that when we're done tonight, we can all say that we've at least gotten a little bit closer to the answer regarding what Jesus meant when he talked about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to do. Of course, the passages that mention this sin, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 31. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And then we can find in the book of Mark, chapter 3. In the book of Mark, chapter 3, and verse 28. In Mark, chapter 3, and verse 28, again, Jesus is speaking. He says, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And one more passage in Luke chapter 12 and verse 10. Luke chapter 12 and verse 10. Jesus again speaking. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. What does this mean? As we go through the lesson tonight, what we're going to do is begin by dispelling some mistaken assumptions that a lot of people make about these passages. Then I'm going to explain to you some things that I'm pretty certain blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not. 
And having narrowed the playing field down, we're going to talk about what I believe blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. And so we're going to begin by looking at two mistaken assumptions. I've talked with lots of people about this. I've read some commentaries and I've looked at numerous sermon outlines. And as I've talked with folks and looked back at the text, I have recognized that, well, there are just some assumptions that are often made about this text. And the only way we're ever going to be able to come to the truth about these verses is if we get rid of those assumptions that are not supported by the text. Now, I'm going to warn you that this is probably going to be a little bit shocking because many of us here tonight have probably made these assumptions as we've looked at these texts. But let me just share them with you. Assumption number one. Many assume that Jesus accused the Pharisees of committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And because they have assumed that Jesus accused them of that, they have then turned around and defined blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in a certain way based on that. However, I assure you, we just read all three texts, and in not a single one of them does Jesus accuse the Pharisees. Not a single one of them will you find, read it backwards, forwards, upside down, or standing on your head, and you will not find in any of those verses where Jesus says, Pharisees, you have committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is an assumption that we often bring into these texts. It's typically made simply because we know that in two of them, in Matthew chapter 12 and in Mark chapter 3, Jesus made these comments about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in response to the Pharisees. They had made some comment about Jesus casting out the demons by the power of Beelzebub. And then he responds to them. And part of his response are these statements about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to consider three reasons why it doesn't make sense that Jesus is accusing the Pharisees of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. First, go back to the Matthew passage. Reason number one. We can look in Matthew chapter 12. And we find in verses 31 and 32, keep in mind that these aren't the beginning of his response. He actually began his response to the Pharisees. They said in verse 24, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, and in verse 25, he begins talking. And he doesn't get to this blasphemy stuff until verse 31. He says to you, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. We also find in Mark chapter 3, and we're going to read these several times tonight. I hope you don't get tired of reading these same verses over and over again. But because we've got to get them locked in our mind, what, what is actually said here. Mark chapter 3, verse 28, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. I want you to notice that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not the first blasphemy Jesus talks about. He actually mentions other blasphemies first. Blasphemy against the Son of Man. You see that in both of those passages. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the second thing he mentions. He mentions another blasphemy first. Brethren, my contention is that it makes a lot more sense that if Jesus is directly responding to what the Pharisees have just said, that the first blasphemy he mentions is the one they've done. And instead of accusing them of this great, awful sin, he's pointing out to them, okay, because think about what they say. 
They said, against the Son of Man, you cast out demons by Beelzebul. And so he's offering them a warning, saying to them, every blasphemy will be forgiven. But don't commit blasphemy against the Spirit. Don't take it a step further. The second thing, often folks believe that this is in response or accusing the Pharisees because in Mark chapter 3 and verse 30 it says, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Typically, that is just applied to those last two verses in our minds, but that's not the case here. I want you to notice that that again applies to this entire response, which for Jesus began way back up in verse 24, verse 23. And the entire response is given because they said he casts out demons by the power of the Elzebul. It's not just this last statement about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's what folks often do. They come down here and say, oh, verse 29, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, he said that because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. No, he said this whole two paragraphs because they said Jesus has an unclean spirit. But I want you to notice again, who did they say had the unclean spirit? Jesus. Who are they speaking against? Jesus. Jesus had just said any blasphemy... And sin will be forgiven. Blasphemy against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not. My third reason for pointing out that this is not an accusation against the Pharisees of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is think about it, brethren. If that's what he was doing, what would be the point? If he's talking to men who have committed an unpardonable sin that they can never be forgiven for, what's the point of bringing it up to them? I mean, one thing is if he was off talking to the disciples and saying, now look guys, you saw what they just did? Don't ever do that because that's unforgivable. But that's not what he did. He is talking to them. And so it makes much more sense instead of saying he's accusing them of something which they can't do anything about. Rather, he's warning them against something. They blasphemed him and he's telling them, you guys better figure this out and straighten up. Because if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you'll not be forgiven. You'll be committing an eternal sin. And so my suggestion tonight is that Jesus was not accusing the Pharisees of committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And let's at least point this out. Jesus does talk about more than one sin in in these sentences. And we cannot say for certain which one the Pharisees had committed because Jesus does not say. Again, read it backwards and forwards and upside down, and you will not find Jesus saying, Pharisees, you have done this. All he does is make a statement about blasphemies and sins and makes the distinction between all these other blasphemies and sins and blasphemy against the Spirit. We cannot assume that he's accusing the Pharisees of anything just because that fits into our package. We're not allowed to do that. That's called dishonest Bible study. We can't make assumptions that are not supported by the text. The second assumption. The second assumption that is most often made is that Jesus said shall be forgiven and shall not be forgiven, but he meant can be forgiven and cannot be forgiven. Did you notice in those three passages that we read? To me, it's the most shocking aspect of these verses. Look at it again. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31. And read along with me. I want to make sure you get there and see if you can notice the difference here. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy blasphemy can be forgiven, people, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. Is that what your Bible says? It's not what it says, is it? 
it says, shall be forgiven and shall not be forgiven. Verse 32, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. Does it say can and cannot? doesn't say that. But one of the amazing things that we do when we come to this text without even realizing it half the time, we actually change these words. And we believe what he's saying is can and cannot. But that is not what he said. We need to understand that Bible words are important. We learn that from passages like Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And about verse 32. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 32, remember the Sadducees had come to Jesus and said, this guy, this woman was married and her husband died and so she married the brother to raise up seed and he died without seed and on through seven, which one is she going to be married to in the resurrection? You see, because they didn't believe in a resurrection. And so Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 32, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He said, you guys should have noticed this passage in the Bible. I am. And his whole point is that God used the present tense. He said, I am and not I was. Is the Bible word important? Can we switch that word and make it mean something? No. He said the fact that it says I am and not I was demonstrates that there's a resurrection. Look in Galatians 3.16. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 Paul says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. Paul demonstrates the word that was used is important. He used the singular, not the plural. Are we allowed to just change the meaning of the word just because it doesn't fit with what we want? No. Paul says the word was important. And I suggest the same thing here. We're not allowed to just change the meanings of the words just because they don't fit with what we think Jesus is talking about. Just because it challenges us and shocks us because, frankly, it's shocking when Jesus said every sin in the world will be forgiven except just this one that will not be forgiven. That's, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's going to cause, You thought the passage was hard when you thought it said can and cannot. Think about how difficult it is when you look at what it really says. What does it mean? We've we've got to dispel these mistaken assumptions. Otherwise, we're not ever going to get to the real meaning of it. And so now let's ask some questions. Considering now that we've removed these mistaken assumptions, let's think about some things that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not. And my reasons why I'm pretty certain that it's not. The very first thing is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a sin for which we might seek forgiveness for which we might repent and beg and plead that God will forgive us, but He just won't do it. Now, there are people who believe that. Let me read something to you. I have a correspondence in my files. I had a discussion about this in the congregation several years ago, and one of the sisters there gave me a note. And here's what she said. Those who spoke against the Holy Ghost during Christ's ministry, during the Mosaical Age, and continue to do so, these persons soon found themselves in the Christian Age dispensation If they sought forgiveness, they could not receive it. Did you catch that last sentence? If they sought forgiveness, they could not receive it. The sister and I had quite a bit of discussion about it. Fortunately, uh, she didn't believe we could actually commit this sin anymore. And so this wasn't something we were going to divide over. But it was just something that I, I was just shocked. 
But there are brethren that believe there is a sin that at least at some time could have been committed and you could beg and plead and ask for forgiveness, but Jesus was saying it cannot be forgiven no matter how much you ask for it. But brethren, I want us to realize that flies in the face of the entire teaching of the Bible. Do you remember one of our rules of Bible study? Every passage that we read and study has got to fit within the greater context of the Bible. And we can't take one passage just because it's difficult and make it change other passages in the Scripture. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 23. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 23, all the way back in the Old Testament, God is telling us about His nature and what He thinks about sin and His outlook toward it. In Ezekiel 18:23, it says, God said, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live. There are no exceptions here, but oh, there's this one sin that's just so bad that I take pleasure in his death and I'm not going to let him turn away. He says, I don't have any pleasure in the death of the wicked. I want them all to turn and come to repentance. We might look in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. John writes in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Is that what your verse says? It doesn't say that, does it? John said He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess it. He doesn't make any exceptions. Back up a few pages. Second Peter. Chapter 3 and verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing for any to perish, except those who committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but for all to come to repentance, except those who committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. There's no exceptions here. It's a blanket statement. Every person, he's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. Not a single person out there. But he wants everyone to come to repentance. There's no exception for that. And we can find this taught over and over again. That's the main theme of the Bible. One of the great things that we take comfort in is that when when we offer the invitation, we can say to every person, it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how bad you've been, what sins you have committed. If you turn to God, He will forgive you. That's the main theme of the Bible. Jesus' statements in Matthew 12 and Mark 3 and Luke 12, verse 10, do not change that. We've got to see how does this fit. And so... The thing that we need to understand is that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a sin for which we might seek forgiveness but never be able to receive it. The second thing that we need to recognize about this is that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a momentary action which forever consigns a person's soul to hell no matter what. Now, that may sound the same as the last one, but the point I'm trying to get at here is the idea of a momentary action. You see, when we read this, we think about it in the form of all other sins. The way we think about I committed a sin in that moment. I lusted, or I cursed, or I lied, or I stole, or whatever. I murdered, whatever. Just in those few moments, I committed a sin. But when we look at the three passages that describe blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what we find within their context is that Jesus is not talking about a momentary action. Look in Luke chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 3 are parallel passages that were mentioned that are different descriptions of the same event as Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. But Luke chapter 12 says the same thing, but it was said at a different time. 
And we find a different context there. And notice, as we compare and contrast these contexts, what Luke chapter 12 and verse 10 demonstrates to us. In Luke chapter 12, let's back up to verse 8. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 8, Jesus was saying, And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the excuse me, will be denied before the angels of God. Now, in these two passages, in these two verses, when Jesus talks about confessing him and denying him, is he talking about something that occurs in just a moment? I don't believe he is. Because if he was talking about something that occurred just at one moment, which of those statements would apply to the Apostle Paul? Because didn't the Apostle Paul deny Jesus? Certainly he did. And so the first statement would say that Jesus was going to deny him. But didn't the Apostle Paul also confess Jesus? And so the second statement says that Jesus is going to confess Paul to the Father. Well, which is it? Well, we know which it is because we're not confused in these verses. We know he's not talking about just one momentary event. We understand that he's not saying if at ever once in your life you deny Jesus, that's it, you're going to hell. We understand that he's talking about a lifestyle, a way of living that denies the Son. And when he talked about confessing, he wasn't talking about a one-time event. We've known all kinds of people that have made the one-time confession that I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But then they've turned away from the will of God and they started denying Him. What's Jesus talking about in verses 8 and 9? Not momentary action, but a way of life. And Paul, of course, was going to be confessed to the Father because his way of life changed. And while at a time he had been a denier, he became a confessor. His life changed. In the same context, he goes on and says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. In the same context, he's not talking about a momentary action. He's talking about a way of life. He's not talking about at one time somebody said something against the Holy Spirit and that's it, it's over. He's talking about somebody who, as a way of life, rejected the Holy Spirit. But interestingly, he said that, hey, you've got folks that reject the Son of Man. That'll be forgiven. They reject the Holy Spirit. That won't. That's still quite confusing, don't you think? So let's move on, and hopefully now we've narrowed the playing field down. We've gotten rid of some mistaken assumptions. We've looked at some things that it can't be because that doesn't fit within the the big picture of the Bible. Let's now look at what it is. What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? The very first thing that we need to recognize if we're going to answer this question is let's just break down the phrase, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? Look in John chapter 16. John chapter 16. In John chapter 16 and verse 7, John 16, beginning at verse 7, Jesus, speaking to his apostles, preparing them for his departure, says, But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe me. 
Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He'll guide you into all the truth. For He'll not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. He'll glorify Me, for He'll take of Mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said that He takes of Mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit was the one who was coming and was going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Further, He was going to come and He was going to guide the apostles into all truth. That was the, that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's what He does. Convicting the world of sin, judgment, and righteousness. Did you notice? Isn't this interesting? He said, now the Holy Spirit's going to convict them of sin because they don't believe Me. Now, doesn't, doesn't that just kind of go along with what Jesus already said? Now, they're committing blasphemy against me. That'll be forgiven, but don't commit blasphemy against the Spirit. Just keep that tucked away in the back of your mind. They're not believing me, but the Spirit will come and convict them. Some of them, anyway. But then we find that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that reveals to the apostles all the truth. And so we learn that the Holy Spirit is the agent by which we learn God's plan for our forgiveness. He's the one that came in and revealed to the apostles and prophets what needed to be recorded so that we would know how to serve God. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Beginning at verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. The Holy Spirit was coming in to testify with the miraculous gifts that what the apostles and prophets were teaching were in fact God's Word. And the Hebrew writer says, how well shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If we neglect what the Spirit has revealed, how shall we be saved? We won't be. That sounds like we won't be forgiven, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like what Jesus said. If we blaspheme the Spirit, we won't be forgiven. This writer says, if we neglect the testimony that's coming through the Holy Spirit, we won't be forgiven. We'll be neglecting so great a salvation. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Where do we get this? We got it from the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're supposed to follow if we want to have salvation. The Holy Spirit is the agent by which we learn how to serve God and by which we learn God's plan for forgiveness. What's blasphemy? Well, we can look the word blasphemy up in the dictionary and we find that blasphemy, blasphemy means profane or mocking speech, writing or action concerning God or anything regarded as sacred. I want you to notice that blasphemy is not just about words, whether written or spoken, but it's also about action. It's also something that we do. Blasphemy is not just things we say, but it's the way we live, and it's the way we act, and it's an insulting or, or disregarding or neglecting of the Holy Spirit. 
And remember what we found out in Luke chapter 12? We'll go back over there. Luke chapter 12 and verse 10. Remember, beginning at verse 8, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When we're talking about profane or mocking speech, writing or action concerning God or anything sacred, we're talking about a way of life that mocks or profanes, treats as unholy God's things, specifically the Holy Spirit, the agent by which we have learned the truth. We also find, when we consider the context in Matthew chapter 12, flip back over there again, Matthew chapter 12, wouldn't it be nice if you had a Bible that had those three passages just right next to each other? Verse 31 is where he starts talking about this, but notice verse 30. Just before he mentions the blasphemy against him and blasphemy against the Spirit, he says in verse 30, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so what we learn from the context here is that when Jesus talks about this, he's not just talking necessarily about an active action against the Spirit, but even just a neglectful action. Something that says, well, it's not that important, I'm not going to worry about it. The person may never say anything major against the Holy Spirit. It may not be somebody who rises up and persecutes actively God's people or argues actively against the Word of God, but if they just say, eh, I'm not too worried about that, and neglect it. They're not gathering together, not, they're scattering. They're not with Him, they're against Him. And so what we have here as we consider blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, as we tie these two things together, we recognize that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a lifestyle of rejecting the Spirit and His revelation regarding forgiveness. It's not just some one-time action. It's not at some point you got really upset and really discouraged and really doubtful and said something insane against God. It's the fact that as a way of life, you have turned your back on God's Word and on His will, and you have treated profanely and mockingly, whether actively or passively, the will of God that was revealed by the Holy Spirit. And you turned your back on it. And you just left it there. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why is it unforgivable? Why is it unpardonable? Well, brethren, because by default, if we are turning our backs on the only avenue of forgiveness, guess what? We will not be forgiven. And so by default, it is unforgivable because it is a lifestyle that neglects so great a salvation. See how it all fits together? And so we ask, well, why did Jesus say that all those other sins would be forgiven, but this one would not? I believe that He was demonstrating the distinction between those who are going to be in hell forever and those who are going to be in heaven. He was pointing out to us that the difference between those in hell and those in heaven is not going to be that those in hell murdered and committed adultery and lied and cheated and stealed, and those in heaven did not. In fact, we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, Paul said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Do you see this? 
There are going to be some homosexuals in heaven. There's going to be some who have been covetous and drunkard and revilers and swindlers. They're going to be in heaven. Why? Because they accepted God's forgiveness. When the Spirit convicted them of sin through the Word, they believed. When the Spirit convicted them of righteousness, they believed. When He convicted them of judgment, they believed. And because of that, we're separated and go to heaven. What's the difference between those in hell and heaven? It's not that those in hell are sinners and those in heaven are not. It's the fact that those in heaven accepted and honored the Holy Spirit and His revelation. And those in hell profaned and mocked it and neglected it. And so Jesus said, every sin will be forgiven, but this one won't. Why? Because they're neglecting salvation. Of course they're not going to be forgiven. By default. I want you to think about a couple of other passages that actually support this same idea. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, all the way back in the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, we find a passage that says very much the same thing, though with different words. In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, God said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Do you see what this passage is saying? They were destroyed because they lacked knowledge. They had rejected the very thing by which they could serve the Lord, and so God said, I'm going to reject you. By default, they could not be priests. By default, they could not be God's children because they had rejected the very thing that would allow them to do that. They had forgotten the law of God, which, of course, was revealed by the Holy Spirit. And one more passage. Look in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 26. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, the Hebrew writer says, in Hebrews 10 and verse 26, If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he'll deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What's wrong with these folks? They've continued sinning willfully. It's not the fact that somewhere along the line they did something one time really awful. It's the fact that they've continued in this lifestyle of sin. Turning their back on God, not turning their back on sin. And I want you to notice how he describes it. It says not only that they trampled underfoot the Son of God, not only have they regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant, but notice they've also, when they've done this, insulted the Spirit of grace. Do you see that? Doesn't that sound like what we've got here about blasphemy? Profane or mocking speech? Insulting the Spirit? How do we do it? By continuing in sin instead of submitting to what God has said. By continuing willfully in sin. We're not talking about one time having submitted to sin and then turning to the Lord and asking for forgiveness. We're talking about folks who are regarding sin in their heart and hiding it there and continuing in it willfully. And they've trampled underfoot the Son of God. Why? They've insulted the Spirit of grace. 
Why? Because they've turned their backs on Him. They've neglected the salvation. They've neglected the only avenue of forgiveness. And so the Hebrew writer says all they have left is a certain terrifying expectation. Why? Because that sin won't be forgiven. There's no hope for that. You're neglecting the very thing. I find it very interesting. As we look in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, verse 26, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What was his point there? His point was that Jesus has already come. They rejected Him. The Spirit has now given His revelation. That's it. If you don't accept that, there's nothing else out there for you. If you can't accept this, you're lost. And you'll be lost. And you'll never be forgiven. Because there's nothing else coming. And so when we think about that, we can see why he warned the Pharisees. He said, this blasphemy against me will be forgiven. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, because that's it. You reject that too, and it's over. That's why I said to the apostles, he's coming in, and he'll convict the world of sin, because they didn't believe me. So they've got one more shot. The Spirit's going to come, and they can believe him. But if they reject him too, that's it. It's over. Nothing else is coming. So as we conclude all this and wrap it up, what do we find? We find that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not some one-time momentary action. As long as you are alive tonight, you haven't yet committed this sin such that you're going to go to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. It's rather a lifestyle of rejecting and profaning and mocking what the, the Holy Spirit and His work. It's turning your back on the only avenue we have of forgiveness. The only source where we can go and learn how to be forgiven. It's profaning and mocking it and casting it aside. And that won't be forgiven. Everything else will be forgiven. Doesn't matter what you've done. God will forgive you if you accept what the Holy Spirit has revealed and submit to it. Obey it. Don't continue sinning willfully trampling underfoot the Son of God, disregarding the blood of the covenant and insulting the Spirit of grace. Submit to God. And you won't have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit.